Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Our guest today is soon to be Dr. Kakesha Bailey Robinson answering my call. This was recorded on December 8, 2020. Um, we have one of the most prolific, authentic, loving women of God as our guest today. She is one who breathes strength and love and compassion. She is one who wants to make sure that everybody is well. And when she is in your presence, you just, there's a sense of calmness that comes over you. Mm. you Dr. Soon to be Dr. Kokisha Bailey Robinson. She is the Associate Dean of Student Diversity and Inclusion at Grace College in Indiana. She has an extensive resume. And you can look her up, Google her, because when I tell you it's extensive, she is the founder of Cross Springs Ministries. And she and the ministry grants water to those in Flint, because you do realize, you do know, they still have problems with Flint, the water in Flint. It's still happening just because people are not talking about it. It is still happening. Um, she is one of the most authentic, I've said this before, but she is one of the most authentic women I have ever met. I want you to put in the chat section. Welcome, Reverend soon to be Dr. Kokesha Bailey Robinson. Yay! Come on in the room. Come on in the room. Hey, my sister. So good to see you. Greetings from Grace College in Indiana. Hey, Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for saying yes. My honor and joy. You are definitely, I love when you say that. It is my joy. I love that. Um, when you come into the room, um, we feel the joy because you exude the spirit of joy and love. And we love that. Bless you, Sarah. I, <laughs> I mean, good to be here today. Let, let's set some ground rules for Just this. As let's, long as you can pass me a Kool-Aid pickle, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to try that. Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a exactly, Dr. Hill. She was doing good at first. Exactly. It was a, it's a ministry. <laughs> I missed them pickles, but I'm coming to Texas in one week, and I'm on my way to get one. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Don't forget it's on it is on um Malcolm X, a little bit of a spot, but you, you can't miss it because the line is long. I'll get it. Text me the name so I can get it on the way to Black Jack's Pizza. It's right around <laughs> She know the area. Yes, it's right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Um, Dr. Kokisha, um, for those who may not necessarily know you, I just want to check in with you to see how you're doing. Um in this COVID season, in this nine months of COVID season, how are you doing? Listen, uh, first of all, with all seriousness, let me thank you ladies for 
the invitation to be with you today and let me celebrate God's activity in each of your lives and ministries. I told Dr. Bradford, my dear Sauron friend, that I have been a part of this long before you invited me to be a guest. Mm. I enjoy coming to glean and grow with you. I really believe in my heart we're better together. And just know, although I've moved from Texas to Indiana, I'm always rooting for you, praying for you, proud of you and cheering for you. To answer your question, uh, we'll probably take the remainder of the afternoon, but I will say it's been filled with, and, and, and I just, I've gotten to the age where I'm too tired not to be my most authentic self. So to answer your question, the season has been filled with happiness, hell, and hope. Ooh, happiness, hell, and hope. Wait, wait, wait. I, I need you to type that in there. Happiness, hell, and hope. Because there are so... That, that mute button needs to go on right now, right there. <laughs> that, um, when, when you talk about happiness, hell, and hope, though, many... You come from a preaching family. Your father was this powerfully gifted preacher. Bless you. And and that, of course you are this you are as well. Bless you. And I hear hear your voice and I hear you talk about happiness, hell, and hope. And everyone, okay, she came from this powerful preacher. She came from this greatness. She didn't have any issues. I'm getting right into it. Is that all right? Come on in. But then when I hear you share your stories, I hear the pitfalls. But for those of us who may not necessarily know the pitfalls of happiness, hell, and hope, sure. can you share some of the pitfalls of this thing called ministry? I know you've answered your call and just want, to, want you to share some of those pitfalls. No problem at all. Thank you to Facebook friends and family that are here. I miss you all. I've slowed down a little bit on Facebook because the season requires me to be in more meetings than on Facebook, but that doesn't mean I don't love Facebook anymore. Uh, I just want to say I'm so startled when I hear people say she hasn't gone through anything um, because that tells me you don't know me at all. (laughs) Or that tells me you have an image of me, but you don't know me. And the image of who we are is a a shadow of who we are. But you have to sit with people at home, at Papa Do's, at Starbucks, on the walking track, on on girls' trips to get to know who they are. And so if you don't know my pitfalls, it means you only know me through one lens. Uh, It means you only know me to be a Facebook encourager. And it means you've never sat with me behind the curtain of my life to share and who I am when I'm when I've left the pulpit. <laughs> it also shares uh, with me that I've been guarded, and I don't know a pastor's family that isn't guarded, because in the words of Tabitha, that's our business. Everybody don't need access to it. <laughs> that's right. That's our business. Mm-hmm. But I can also say now that I'm no longer a child, or the pastor of, uh, or the daughter of a pastor who is the current pastor. My age and daddy being in glory changes some of the dynamics as well. Let me say that. 
Now, if he were here in glory, even at this age, I'm my most authentic self. So I will be sharing things that I wouldn't have shared as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stewardship requires you to share some things. And so there'll be things that we talk about in this platform that I haven't talked about because I am guarded. Uh, I believe that public people also deserve to have private lives. And I don't care if I do 20 posts on Facebook, I promise you, I'm not telling you everything happened in my day because Facebook and Instagram are, are, are bite-sized pieces of who we are. Uh, it's a window. It's not a diary. And so there are things that we choose to share with certain people. Some things only our families will know. Some things only our mentors or mentees will know or our boss. And then there are some things that the Holy Spirit prompts you to share that you weren't trying to share. Uh, So I give myself to that. But I got to say with what's happening in the world at this age and with the things that he's calling me to do, it requires letting some people behind the curtain if that will benefit their experience. And so I say happiness because I got a promotion in a pandemic. Oh, bless the Lord. Uh, I will. I refuse to believe that the pandemic has taken everything. And so I praise God that the pandemic afforded an opportunity to move to a new state, a new job, uh, the first African-American uh, associate dean at this college in the history of the college full time. To God be the glory. It's not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is. And I honor him for that. Uh, I have not arrived. I remain a student at the feet of, of Jesus at the cross. But stewardship requires me in this role to speak up on behalf of black folk, to speak up on behalf of brown folk. But I also they hired me as a person who's unapologetically black and unapologetically a racial reconciler. So this means I don't let people do broad slaps to white people and brown people. (laughs) We're all a part of the kingdom. We're all kingdom's kids. So in the words of my dad, Dr. E.K. Bailey, who is still my hero, even in glory, we could be pro-black without being anti-white. And so this is new territory, um, but I'm happy about it because I didn't want to die with a ministry that had one lens. I wanted a ministry that had multiple lenses. And I feel like God has called me to double dutch in some areas. I don't have to just be a preacher. I'm not giving up being a preacher. Uh, however, I can be a preacher and a dean. Uh, I told them now you're hiring a minister, but I'll learn how to be a dean. <laughs> so I thank God for the happiness of the season. Uh, so many friends have been healed from COVID. I give God praise. That brings me happiness. And really in this last decade, my honor has been to be a mentor to seminarians and college students. So being around the next generation inspires me. That makes me happy. Uh, I have some tremendous co-workers and an awesome boss and president. That's why I move because I trust them. We don't want people giving uh, college statements that have no mobility. We want rhetoric with feet. And so I moved here because I believe in the mission of grace. They have acknowledged and apologized for some mis- missteps as it relates to race relations And I really believe they, along with other white and brown brothers and sisters around the world, blacks, are at a place of cultural humility. And I believe it was the right season to move prompted by the spirit. So I'm happy about that. I'm happy to be married to a man that's turned on by a woman walking in her purpose. 
And I'm thankful that I don't have to dilute who he is to be who I am. And he doesn't dilute who I am to be who he is. That makes me happy. Uh, and I love that I don't have to stop loving Concord and Dallas and being a daughter of Oak Cliff and a proud HBCU family. Shout out to Fisk University. I don't have to give up my love for Beast and Divinity School or Truett and Baylor where I'm matriculating now. That makes me happy. Uh, where the hell has come from has been, and I'm sorry for people that are offended by the word hell. I've said it more often in the last five years and certainly more in the last uh, nine months than ever in my life. I don't know another word that's a synonym that that that's, that describes hell other than hell. Um, the hell has come from losing more family members and friends than I can articulate. And I know I'm not by myself. It's been ultimately devastating. Before I moved here, um, I got a call about members of the church where I was ordained in New York dying daily. They are like my family, Mount Nebo Church of Harlem, just like Concord. Concord licensed me, Concord Church of Dallas. Shout out to Pastor Carter and my family and friends there. But um, Mount Nebo, Dr. Green, Dr. J.M. Green and Lady Jackie Green, they ordained me. So I love them. Uh, my husband, I, he's an early bird. I would wake up in the morning and he would tell me for 10 to 12 days straight, a member of the church that died. So our breath was taken before the move. And then after the move, several family and friends. Uh, and so I can't tell you the weight that that's placed on the season. So I tell people, each of us are learning how to navigate the reality that hell and happiness and hope are coexisting. I don't have to apologize for being happy that I got a new job, but neither do I have to pretend that I'm not hurt, that there are people that we love that are dying at unprecedented rates. Uh, I don't have to uh, be happy about the fact that black people wave the flag all the time about what's happening in our communities, but we live in two different Americas and all of America doesn't get that there's a problem until it hits their community. And so I say that because uh, I like the fact that this position allows stewardship of the hour to encourage girls who are called into predominantly male spaces to say you're enough. And even if you're the only female in the room, God's got you. And then it's to say, I know you're not used to seeing black people on staff, but because I've been hired, this means you can be too. Uh, I always start a job asking, how can I flourish? How can I help people around me flourish? And how can I set it up for my successor to flourish? That makes me happy and that gives me hope. And so I count it all joy. Sadness is real. Tears have been real. Uh, pandemic fatigue is real. The other week I had to say I have nothing else to give. I got to go on a getaway for three days and then I'll be back. <laughs> uh, this has brought out more authenticity because sometimes in pastors' families, you feel forced to be happy when you're sad. It doesn't mean we, we don't have authentic happiness and joy, but sometimes the people you encourage aren't always encouraging you. And so it leads to isolation and loneliness that isn't always discussed. And so, Dr. Bradford, in, to answer your question, I have enjoyed being a PK. I'm not one of the PKs living in resentment because my mom and daddy gave the church more time than they gave us. That's that's not my story. They they share time with Concord, with the world and with us. And if they needed to cancel something so that they could come to the Miss Carter High School pageant, they were there. So I'm thankful for present parents. 
And I'm there for adult PKs that are deeply struggling with parents who were missing in action and made their uh, churches the, the mistress. But I thank God my parents were present. They introduced us to Jesus. We had fun. We had Michael Jackson thriller parties and swim parties. We were regular kids. <laughs> uh, they told us whatever we have, we earned it. You got to grow up and earn it. We didn't grow up entitled. That makes me happy. Um, however, I regret when people assume that because you're a public person, you don't have challenges. Uh, I have had surgeries. Uh, I have preached for years with pain in my body and didn't start talking about it probably until um, maybe the last five years. And then surgery uh, healed me and then I was better. But just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean we're not experiencing it, you know. Um, I've preached places where I was well received. I've preached places where I was the first woman. Thanks be to God. But I preached places where people walked out while I was preaching. <laughs> uh, I've had people come on social media to take a social media flyer of me and circle the word pastor or reverend and then write nasty things on top and then circulate it around their platforms. Uh, I've had people determine that if I have a heart for social justice, I must be a communist or a Marxist. And so I just had to share those things because you see the glory, but you don't know the story. And now, Double Dutch in ministry and diversity, you have the joy of representing the marginalized, but you have the frustration of some people assuming that if you have a heart for social justice, that you exalt justice over the gospel, and it's not true. There are ministers who believe that social justice and the gospel are inextricably tied. If Jesus was a social justice preacher, what is our responsibility? <laughs> and we got a lot of friends who want to talk about reconciliation, but not justice. Well, we want reconciliation, but reconciliation is birthed through honest conversations and relationships and Forgiveness and justice. And so I love diversity work is to have a seat at the table, but it's not to just pat myself on the back for getting a seat at the table that was given by grace, but it's to welcome other people to the table and to affirm people that have been around that felt muted and made invisible. So that, that's why I say hope. It's a season of hope. And I'm glad that your platform and mine and many on this line are showing little girls, yes, you can. Are showing ministers, male and female, yes, you can. And I'm showing people who are committed to the hard work of diversity work behind the scenes when people no longer want to hear stories, but you have to keep telling stories. Then you have to look for the policies to see where is racism in the policy. Then we have to start asking we appreciate this letter, but who's on your board that looks like me? Who's in the classroom that looks like me? And if we're producing scholars that only have a library filled with people that look like you, then it's time for a change. And so I just thank the Lord for a season of hope, a season with the president that if I were in a fight, I know he back for me. Uh, I've had all of my heroes to be pastors and preachers in the black context. And I'm so thankful now to have black preachers and white preachers and brown preachers and pastors and now deans and presidents on the Mount Rushmore of my experience. And it's my prayer that I could be that for somebody else. Thank you, ladies, for being that for so many. My God, today, you are amazing. One thing I, I just saw... Um, 
Raquel say, well, soon hey, to, that's my BFF. Soon to be Dr. Washington. Um, she says, have a seat and bring a chair for another sister as well. And we, it's, it's hard in this, this seat. Well, not in this season now, but for so many years, that hasn't been the case. Right. But I see you doing that for so many. Um, I see you mentoring so many women, so many young women, as well as older women. Um, and showing the space. Okay, if I can do it, you can do it. And that blesses, that blesses all of us because we've seen it. But how, I want to know how you plan, I guess, pivoted, that's the word I want to use. Sure. From this, growing up, this Black girl, growing up in this Black, all Black community, all Black church, to this Lily White school that had a history of not being as diverse as it should be. Thank you. Position. I'm still uh, learning, and I, I will probably be answering that question for the next few years. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving myself to be a student of the experience. I just mm-hmm. told my boss, the vice president, the other day, I said, I have to just be honest with you about something. I see my whole life through the lens of the black church. <laughs> I see leadership through the lens of the black church. I see through theology through the lens of the black church. Concord Church was my seminary before I got to seminary, before I knew I was a minister, right? I'm a proud, unapologetic daughter of the black church, local and global. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just have to say that I have to give myself to what am I bringing from my leadership experience that will work in a private white institution? Mm-hmm. And what will I have to unlearn because cultures are different, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So I'm going to just be honest about a couple of things. And this is no secret. I've shared this with the vice president and president because I can be my authentic self with them and them with me. Praise God. I come from a context where people call people reverend, doctor, miss, sister, ma'am, sir. I remember my daddy saying, what did you say? Yes, sir. What did you say? Yes, ma'am. What is his name? Pastor such and such, Reverend such and such. Well, I came to a context of wonderful people, a more casual environment. And some of my black and white uh, brothers and sisters in their church context and in the academy may or may not refer to leaders with handles, as we say in the black community. And so it's been an adjustment to see adults calling our president by his first name, which he welcomes. He's so he's so approachable and humble. And I told him, I said, before you hire me, you just got to know this. I'm going to really have to work hard at hearing people call you Bill. Because we come from a context where we say, no, that that's Dr. Cato. And I said that I'm going to have to get used to not being miss, Mrs., sister, reverend. And I don't trip over titles because, come on, I mean, we got we got to do a whole nother Zoom to talk about women in ministry. Uh, I thank God for the struggles of being a woman in ministry because that prepared me for the struggles of women in diversity. <laughs> And I'm like, that won't be harder than the first uh, leg of the trip. So thank God for the preparation. But it is different, you know, uh, when you're in a culture that's culturally different. Um, So I'll tell you, I moved from a neighborhood where you saw all Biden signs, honestly. So everybody where I lived had Biden signs and where the church was, Biden signs. Uh, And then I moved here. 
I don't see many black people and their Trump signs all around. So it's like, father. So <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, it just got real because I moved, I came because I was already a friend and fan and family member of the school. They kindly invited me to be their guest speaker for chapel for the last four years. So I'm no stranger here. Being around the staff and students made me want to be here. It's picturesque. You should see it in fall in the fall, orange and leaf, orange leaves and red trees, a lake at the bottom of the hill. And I just remember thinking, this is so beautiful. I would love to live here. Um, I see myself living here. And by the second visit, the Lord said, you belong here. And then you fast forward to four years later and they offered me a job. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Your, your word can be trusted when you speak things. As we say in the black church, unctions are real. Uh, but you got to know that coming as a visitor is different than when you drop anchor and set up shop. What I like about moving here is that I've seen that who they were when they were hosting me as a guest is who they are. They are loving. They are kind. They are generous. They are open. And honestly, moving here, I'm talking to white students who are woke. That gives me joy. <laughs> Before I moved here, because I, I got uh, hired in January, I was supposed to start flying back and forth to fly uh, to, to work here in March. And the school had to close down for COVID. So I was six months working from Texas. I just moved here in September. Uh, but I can't tell you, I mean, the white students sent me notes saying, what can we do? Because we hate what's happening in black America. We hate what's happening in the world. Or maybe my parents were racist, but I don't want to be racist. Or I don't come from a family of racist. Can you speak up on behalf of their white allies who are real? Uh, so I felt like I'm coming to a place that's culturally humble. That's full of a lot of happiness. But the struggle has been not in being well received, not in being a black puppet that has no power. Because I'm too old to be taking jobs just so somebody could be proud that you hired a black person. I love that the job was created for true equity and a place of power and institutional benefits and one that sits on many boards that impact change. I thank God for that. And I praise God for new seasons. Um, and I, it will probably be the most fulfilling job I've ever had. Some of the struggles, to be honest, have been, I miss seeing black folk. All right. I just simply miss seeing black folk. I come from an HBCU life. So I, I was always around black people. And sometimes I guess you can take it for, for granted because you go to church with blacks, you at Kroger with blacks, and then you up at Redbird with blacks. And even if you're out at North Park or the Galleria, you still gonna see somebody look, look like you. Uh, and then I'm married to, you know, Martin Luther King of our day. So, <laughs> so I was just like, this is hilarious for me to come from such a black experience to a full white community. But I do thank the Lord that the love of God is here. Uh, the, the commitment to diversity and equality is here. And when I miss seeing black people, I come to timely wisdom. See, y'all think y'all just blessing us. I'm coming on so I can see some friends. Uh, but I've also made good friends, black, white, and brown here. 
Uh, I was walking down the street the other day and a little boy looked like he was going to pass out. I didn't know if it was because he had never seen a black woman or as a black woman and a mask. Maybe that was too much for a community where you don't see many black people. Uh, so we'll probably talk about it with your next few questions. I found it um, beneficial to still stay connected to black communities online. So I'm still going to black churches. I'm still very much connected to Concord and Mount Nebo and <laughs> so many places, Mount Hebron and, and others, um, Timely Wisdom and Selah and on and on and on, Delta Circles and my BFS, Raquel and I, and I have five black friends working on doctors right now. That's a community. So if you work in a predominantly white community, I want to celebrate you for saying yes to God, even when it's outside of your context. Know that God is with us and he is the majority. But also, please cling to your black friends, <laughs> your black mentors, and speak up with how more black faces uh, can come to the table where you are. Wow. wow. I, I, I want to know what... You you said that your white students or white administrators come to you. Yes. What can we do because yes. we don't like what we? I we I know I can speak for the the, uh, the three of us that um, we've heard that same questions from our, our white counterparts. Right? What what can I do? Or their email? What can I do? Can yeah. I do something yes. for you? What? How do you answer that question? Because it comes so often, and some of them are really sincere. Yes. I appreciate that. I've been asked that question definitely since March, and I know many of you have. I don't know pastors, preachers, faith leaders that have not been asked that. So I'll ask. I'll answer in a couple of ways. First of all, I asked my friends that were calling me. I said, "Are you calling for the truth? Are you calling to feel proud that you reached out to a black person?" Okay. So if you're calling for the truth. I want to say thank you for this call. And so I want to ask you to ask your friends and colleagues to start calling black people that they haven't really spent time talking to. And then I want to ask, can you talk to your staff, your faculty, your students and offer some apologies for not doing more? See, because just because it's just being captured on film doesn't mean it just start happening. We're tired. We've been tired for 400 years. So we need somebody to acknowledge that fatigue, that generational fatigue. Um, and then thank you for asking me to read your letters. But if the letter is it, we're not satisfied. Because true change is going to happen when we get some legs and feet on those letters. So that's awesome that you did the letter. My, our president wrote a letter, and when the vice president and the dean of chapel read it to me, I cried. I cried. I mean, I turned away from the Zoom and just had to let out a black woman cry like at a funeral. And then I wiped my face and turned around and said, I'm sorry. I, my husband said, you didn't give them the, the real Kokesha cry, did you? I don't think they can handle that. But the words were so moving because I needed to hear that people in power were as devastated as we are and that are moving from rhetoric to action. And I could tell the sincerity of his heart and the language. And then the school moved from just the president's letter to having a night of repentance. 
And I thought, I might miss seeing black people, but I'm at the right place at the right time because I'm with people who are lamenting what's happening in black America. And so we had a, a Zoom call and the students, and they're predominantly white. Blacks and browns were on the call, but predominantly white students on the call crying or sad or just heavy. I got voicemails all summer from people from all kinds of schools saying, I just want to apologize. I realize I'm a racist, you know? So acknowledging it, that's helpful. But I do want to share that you don't have to call me to acknowledge that you're a racist, though. You can, you can take that to the Heavenly Father. But all summer, I got voicemail messages with people acknowledging racism. It moved me because I knew that this was motivated from a pure heart. Some people needed to know, oh my gosh, I've been passive or I've ignored, right? And so I thank the Lord we can come into these hard conversations. I also appreciate, uh, I'm going to give some examples. When people say, what else can you do? You can get a black friend. You can get a brown friend. See, because I'm meeting people who don't come from neighborhoods where there were black people. So if, if you have only been around people that look like you, then your perspective is one-sided. I come onto the team so happy and bubbly, and then COVID hits. Then all my family and friends start dying. Then I'm radically changed in two months. Who I am right here on this Zoom is not who they hired a year ago. Because life and pain changes us. And so I'm on a call where I want to be warm, bubbly, encouraging Kokesha, but my heart is so heavy about what's happening in Black America and in our circles and in politics, which I'm too, anyway. So um, I remember coming to the meetings having to say, COVID is real. My family and friends are dying at unprecedented rates, and it's, 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 it's more than I can articulate. And then every week giving COVID updates, stewardship. Because if nobody knows of people who have people dying, then it's easy to assume that it doesn't exist. I, I love that this week they gave me the freedom to be able to speak openly in a meeting. And I said, by now, you all know I love you and I'm glad I moved here and I want to be here a long time. But I have to speak up on black folk. We sometimes are waving a flag. This is real. This is happening. And it's not until it impacts white communities that people believe is real. And so I appreciate and celebrate the people that are sitting in the same seat I'm sitting in because diversity officers have been employed 200% more than we have in the future. That now many of us are doing this for the first time and we're having to say, these are statistics that are real. These are things we need to do. We need black and brown people on boards. We need to celebrate African heritage outside of Black History Month. <laughs> Uh, we let's see the books by black authors in the library. All right. Let's ask recommendations for black and brown authors. You know, let's diversify speakers that are coming. This school has been doing those things. Uh, I was invited because they were diversifying their speakers list. And so I, I won't let people do broad slaps to white people to assume all white people are against us. Nobody's a real ally. That's not true. I wouldn't have been invited to the staff if, if that were the truth. But I do appreciate we're in a point of history where we have to be a good steward of speaking up and speaking out, even if our experiences are different. 
It's our opportunity to share them. And then when we're misunderstood or pigeonholed, it's important that we are resilient. What's unique Mm -hmm. and complex about this season is that I'm here to represent diversity. They didn't hire me to be Reverend Robinson. I was Reverend Robinson at Concord, Mount Nebo, Livingstones, and Cross Spring. Here I'm, I'm hired to be Associate Dean Robinson. And so if you have a problem with women preachers, sometimes it's going to be easy to confuse it and then to give me kickback for diversity work because really you have a theological issue with women. And so I just want to urge people, pastors, deans, presidents, to keep the main thing the main thing. I, I can't undo who I am. I told the president, you know I'm a preacher. We said, we want you to take a look at this job. Because I thought I can't undo who I am. I can't undo being ordained. I can't undo being licensed. I can't undo starting Cross Spring. And neither can I apologize for it. However, sometimes you can run into people um, at your school and at spaces virtually, because we're sharing a lot of spaces with other schools and churches uh, you know, sometimes you don't know if the pushback is beca- is because you don't like diversity. You got to know just because people have the job created doesn't mean that all the platforms you're invited to speak on will appreciate it. But then if you have a problem with women preachers and the person they hired is a female minister, what do you do with that? So it's very important uh, that we are resilient when you're asked, what should we do? when they do it to be appreciative and when they don't do it to stay true to the mission. I urge people, evaluate your staff and your boards, evaluate what's coming into the library, evaluate our men and women being uh, speaking in chapel, our, our black, white, and brown reads available on bibliographies. But we can start with just one relationship, one night out for sushi, one night out for pork chop and greens and yams, one night out for tacos, one night out for coffee, one night out, just meet me at the lake. I asked students, I have to say, I got to tell y'all something. Black folk, we ain't gathering like y'all gathering. So I need some, I need some ground rules up in here. Only one person in my office at a time with a mask or walk with me on the track. Right. I'm eating good up here. So I have to walk off some of this food. But also being outside makes me more comfortable having a meeting right now than inside. And I love that the school has been so incredibly accommodating and appreciative for hearing a black perspective. Uh, But I tell people just start with relationships, because if you hear somebody's story, you may see that you're wrong about them. Thank you, uh, Dr. Robinson. Um, I just have uh, uh, some questions about the statistics of your school. Yes, ma'am. I know you said it's predominantly white, but how many African-Americans and how many other minorities? Well, there are very few. Let me say that. And that is not because the school has not invited them. It's just because of the area where the school is. So we have under 1,500 uh, students. It's a beautiful, quaint, small, Christian, uh, evangelical, white, private white institution. Uh, We have probably mm, 30 to 40 African-Americans on campus, which is way higher than it's been uh, in the last few years. Um, I've talked to some black alumni from the college 
who were the only one in their class. Mm-hmm. And so I thank God that change has come uh, and that this president's mission includes diversity. Uh, we have a council of infinity groups so that there are people representing African-Americans, Latinx, um, first-generation students, and Asian-Americans. Currently, we have probably about uh, 20 to 30 uh, Asian-American students, which is way higher than it's been in the past. We've had 100% of Black students retained. And so I just thank God for those positives. We have more Hispanic students on our campus, Latinx, than any other minority demographic because there is a higher number of Latinx in this area. And so I just thank God for things that are happening. This won't ever look like an HBCU, right? However, perhaps there's someone that will say, there's a black person on staff. I could have somebody there that looks like me. Mm-hmm. I told the students, I said, now I'll be Associate Dean Robinson, but I can also be your mama and I can also be your pastor. And um, if you stop going to class, I'm coming to the class and I'm coming to your dorm and I'm walking you to class. So you're not going to know if you got your mama, your auntie or your Associate Dean. But I just like that despite that I'm the only full-time African-American Dean right now, that's not always, that's right now, that I can be free to be who I am. And I can see the faces on the students that can exhale because they feel like our school has moved from saying they want diversity to doing something about it. And I also have to shout out other departments because we have an African-American student female chaplain, my pumpkin, Mariah, so very proud of who she is. Then the, di- the director of the diversity council, that oversees the infinity groups I was telling you about, an awesome leader who's going to be a mover and shaker in diversity, a senior named Kirsten. She's my pumpkin. There's so many, our student president right now, a man of, a student body president is a man of color. And so I thank the Lord for a school that's making strides and that's putting feet on letters and mission statements and diversity plans. Well, you you have to start somewhere. So, um, I I was an assistant pastor at a predominantly white church. Yes. Put me there. Praise God. So I could begin to love white folk and that all of them were not prejudiced. You know, I didn't have to lump them all That's in, right. into one basket. And well, I praise God for that. That's yeah, beautiful. It was wonderful to be they they actually celebrated my gifts. Yes, ma'am. They, they I preached very often. So it was yes. um, a good, good time that I was there. I was there five years uh, before I went to Ebenezer. So it really put me in a place where I could appreciate students of all uh, ethnicities. I'm happy to hear that. And I'm right there with you. I came here with a love for black and white and brown people. But uh, I do believe it's this season that will help give me a lens to the uh, underbelly and the backdrop of the other experience I did not have. But I also love that I could bring my complete Baptist black self <laughs> to this to this space. You know, I could come in the chapel and say, "Put your hands together. Let's thank the Lord for this." Um, I also find ways that I can learn from their experience. 
Well, well, I'm I'm a Baptist preacher too, so uh, I, I love call and response. Yes. So sometimes I'm humming over here at what you say, so I hope it's not not. <laughs> no, let me tell you, I'm here for it because I gotta I tell love, you, I love call and response. Sis, I love call and response, and I miss that the most in this digital age of the pandemic because uh, a lot of my friends and colleagues who are not black will mute themselves. And I miss hearing, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm doing an event tomorrow online. And I said, if y'all don't mind, please don't mute yourself because I need to hear the response. So I'm with you. Like, excellent, excellent. Well, we're happy you're there. Yeah. I, I have one last question about answering your call um, as a woman, but not limiting yourself to the pulpit. Okay, thank you for that. Um, Y'all have to just come to Indiana because some of these answers we, we had to just be outside. And, and hold just one second. And in the in your answer time, we only have about okay. Four minutes so there's no way okay. to unpack that. All mm-hmm. I can say is, if the Lord can take a chubby, insecure black little girl from Oak Cliff, a preacher's daughter who didn't know her purpose and was intimidated by being a woman in ministry and can give me self-esteem and on-the-job training and can allow me to say yes in a Southern area that's male-dominated in ministry, in churches where women were not preaching. And now you fast forward 17 years and God has opened doors that no man could shut. He's opened doors that I wasn't always qualified to enter into. And then he's given me competencies along the way. He could do the same thing for you. I've seen him change. I say this over and over, but it just fits right here. He changes people, personalities, positions, and platforms. Uh, one of my best friends is called to preach a new preacher. And before the pandemic, she, we went out and she said, just thank you for being a trailblazer. I said, isn't this interesting? 17 years ago, I was called a troublemaker. So this shows me that God moves troublemakers to trailblazers. Only in time. And it's in that time, his time, that he used a minister to become an associate dean. And the best is yet to come. I want men and women to know you don't have to be pigeonholed. You don't have to love one race. You don't have to do one thing. And if you're not preaching regularly, it doesn't undo you being a preacher. Amen. I want people to know you don't have to be a senior pastor of the church to be somebody. You don't have to be married to be somebody. Be your best self because you're enough. Mm-hmm. And I thank God that I'm still old enough to have experience and young enough to learn something new. Mm-hmm. I have friends from 20 to 75 mm-hmm. and I offer myself to whatever God wants to do with uh, this position, with this platform, uh, even with pushback. I'm glad they hired a woman that knows who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years ago, I would have had some things to hurt my feelings and I would have already been back in Dallas by now. But I thank God uh, that he's prepared me for this task. I thank God that they're real allies that are here. And I thank God that I've already seen what he could do in time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here for what he wants to do in this season. Thank you so much for having me. My God. Today, we thank you for for saying yes. We have, if you could just look on the comments, we have so many comments there. But what I want to, I just want to say, we thank God that you were a troublemaker, but it was good trouble. 
Ah, glory for good trouble. Thank you, Tracy. That you are a trailblazer, and we think that you are treading the water. Uh, You're navigating through these uncharted territories. So we just thank God for you. To Him be the glory. Now unto Him. It's about Him. You can also be a troublemaker and a prophet. Yes. It was a white guy. It was a white minister who answered, who, who allowed me in my interview for um, ordination. I had been always called a troublemaker because I speak out. He said, well, get look at the prophets. You can join a great cloud of witnesses. So I'm trying to tell everybody that don't don't stop at troublemaker. Just be the prophet and give that one speech, that one sermon that will move people. The doors of the church are open. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Bailey, for being with us. Uh, yeah. Please, sure, please hang on backstage. Thank you for having Thank me. So Walk in your purpose, my friends. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. Yes, next week mm-hmm. we will mm-hmm. have Doctor. You ready? It's Brenda. Yeah. Yes. Brenda Wallace is. Yes, it is next week. Yes, um, next week. Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Bishop Teresa. Okay, so Doctor Wallace. <laughs> Yes, next week we will yeah. have, go ahead. The first bishop of the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. The, Excuse the me, she's not the first bishop, not bishop. the first bishop. Say it right. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, she was a trailblazer to ensure that the ministers that were coming for ordination and for uh, connection into the CME church were required to take at least one unit of CPE so that they don't hurt other folk. Um, so, I, and I'm I'm really proud uh, to be a friend in Sarah to uh, Bishop, Bishop, <laughs> Bishop Jefferson Snorton. <laughs> wow! Thank you all. Well, join us next week, same time, same place, as we have Bishop Teresa Jefferson Snorton, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time, Time of Wisdom. See you then.